I do my best to live a healthy lifestyle. I try to get out there, work out, break a sweat when possible. I'm not necessarily a fitness or a, a wellness freak, but I'm just trying to be a little bit healthier every single day, which is where Sun Warrior comes into play for me. It is a plant-based, eco-friendly, performance-boosting, all things brand that I want to talk about. And it's their active nutrition line that is something that I've been messing around with over the course of the past couple of months. And it's really working out for me because with protein, creatine, pre-workout and hydration, these products are designed to optimize your performance. And I'm always up for optimizing any aspect of my life, even boosting my own energy reserves or being more hydrated after a long day in the gym or on the golf course. It really does turbocharge my recovery. It's something that I really take seriously and it's real nutrition for real life. So go check out sunwarrior.com and use code FIRST. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Freaking first cut. Golly. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your Ryder Cup debrief. Joining me to break it all down, we are mostly back from Italy. Mark Immelman is here. Mark, good to see you. Nice to see you, Rick. Nice you, Rick. Normally, you're the guy who's... I'm the guy who's in the hotel room, not you are. This is good to see you. I'm stuck in London for the moment. Kyle Porter is here. KP, hey, bud. At least you speak the language there, right? Like, it, I... <laughs> I got yeah. stuck in some places in Italy that I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it gave me a, I think it gave me a greater appreciation for people that travel a ton and it's, uh, it's super fun. I mean, it was, we can get into it. It's a trip of a lifetime, but it, it's, it's different. It, it's, it's, it's a different thing to travel internationally. So, so we were talking about it cause our, cause what happened was, so short, the short version is we are flying from Venice to London to LAX. We got to, London, the British British Airways captain puffed out his chest. He got us there ten minutes early. He was proud as can be. He was peacocking. Uh, <laughs> there was no gate for us. Then we went to another gate where the plane had a mechanical issue, so that wasn't moving. We went to another gate where there was nobody there. We sat on the runway for like two hours and missed our connection after getting there early, and then being very proud of it. Was so, he still peacocking or? No, he was apologizing pretty, <laughs> pretty liberally by the end. Um, this is like this is like Mark when he's got the thirty-six hole leader yeah. in his in his bets, and then yeah. by Sunday he's like, "I'm sorry, guys, I shouldn't have said that." It was a Terrible. real, it was a real like mission accomplished moment for that captain. Uh, sure, and then sure. he, so, but I, what your my point being, Kyle, like. Thank God our, our connection wasn't through like Munich or somewhere that like I like we would be up a creek if we were in like a non-English speaking country right now. Yeah. I mean, what what was I'll, I'll throw it back to you on this. Like, what was your 
You've been in Italy for almost two weeks, or I guess probably two weeks now. What has been your experience and just kind of your takeaways from, I mean, everybody was joking over there about like the bus schedule and like the shuttles to the course. And like, it was humorous that they're like, yeah, we're good. We're just, we're not driving anymore today. It's like, it's like, like their culture is just, it's, I loved it and I was fascinated by it, but I was curious about what your takeaways have been. Yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously incredibly different. And um, the things that you would expect or not expect, like I, I found a lot of it to be opposite of what I deal with on, on a daily basis. But I was just telling Mark that like, you know, Italy as a whole, it, it's really impossible to recreate a lot of stuff that you can see in Italy and in Europe in America, just because of how old everything is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these towns that are literally thousand years old thousand plus years old that are built into the sides of these cliffs and how they figured out how i mean we, we went to venice and i mean the the there's there's 300 bridges in, in venice there's these canals everywhere and how they bring in like there's a there's a trash boat right so we had to take our trash down to the trash boat they they wheel it around and then you put it on the boat they drive it out like i couldn't even imagine how they came up with everything to get around all of that but that that trash boat you got to sort out your biological stuff from your plastic from your paper it's a mission to do the trash in italy especially in venice but it is cool yeah there's just so much like that kp that um we we uh, i mean america is like an infant in all of this right mm-hmm. so there's a lot of stuff that we didn't have to figure out over the last couple of thousand years that that they have had to do I think what stood out to me, Rick, is they're just they're they're both a lot more chill and a lot less chill than than we are, right? Yeah. Where I was in the airport on on uh, flying out on Tuesday out of Rome, and they're very direct to one another, which I find to be kind of refreshing. Like this person was standing in an area of the little bakery in the airport that he wasn't supposed to be, and the guy was like, "Hey, could, I mean," he said it. I think he was speaking Italian. He was like, "Could you move?" And the guy was like, "Why?" And I was like, wow, this, this would like, imagine that happening in, you know, Atlanta or uh, Miami, just like an American city It's just, it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't happen, but they're a lot more chill in that. I mean, I, we walked around me and a couple guys walked around Rome for like 10 hours on Monday after the Ryder cup. And it was like 6 PM and we couldn't find a place that was serving dinner. Cause they were like, yeah, we're, we're just, we're not going to do dinner until like eight or, or whatever, you know? And one night we stayed up until like 1230 PM eating dinner. And it like, I find that pretty awesome as well. So it was just a, it was a really fun and cool cultural experience and, and one that, uh, yeah, I was very grateful to have had. Yeah, it was it was stellar stuff. Um, the the golf specifically, uh, Mark was was mostly one sided. Obviously, the Europeans getting a, a five point victory to win back the Ryder Cup and doing it in a fashion where, yes, there was that window on Sunday where there was a pathway to hope, but the outcome um, statistically, based on probability, based on reality, the outcome of the Ryder Cup was decided fairly early in the week and was not really in jeopardy throughout. Golly, Rick, I mean, you talk about statements. I remember Friday morning being out there and in the opening match, Victor Hovland and Lud Aberg, Victor chips in from behind the green to go one up. And it was like the writing was almost on the wall already after that because in match two, 
they grab an early lead and all of a sudden I'm looking at this and remember I'm over there on a corporate engagement and I have an American organization in PepsiCo and they started to ask, so what do you think? And I'm like, golly, were the crowds behind these folks? Because the more they went up, the more the crowds got rampant, the more the crowds got rampant, the more that sort of lifted the Europeans. And they were, you know, some of them were like superhuman at some stage. Um, but I just think the whole thing from, from how the golf course was set up, because to me, it was kind of American style, you know, with the bunkering and the undulation. There's a lot of European courses off flat terror with smaller greens, but this, this place looked like it was American when I first saw it. But then when I saw the chipping areas and I saw how the golf course played, and um, it, it's sort of like it was a masterclass by Luke Donald in setting up the place, picking players who were going to play well there. Because if you'd caught me prior to the week, I would have said, you know, Bob McIntyre, I'm not so sure. But it's set up beautifully for him and he played great. So uh, the whole thing was, was just indicative to me of playing at home. And, and just, just something personal. You were speaking about Rome. Um, you know, I'd retire there tomorrow if I could. In Italy, that is. And to go to Rome, I did a MC deal, like a speaking engagement Thursday night. And I was just struck because this place was on top of a hill. It's looking overlooking the Eternal City. And you can see St. Peter's Basilica over there. And you look this way and you could see the Colosseum. It was just magnificent. And to have golf in this place and, and to watch a sport that I read was the 17th most popular sport in the country just suddenly get front and center, you know, for three days. It was like all the Euro fans that showed up and the Italian fans were there. It became a thing. And there was this groundswell of support from my point of view that just lifted that team to, to heights that I knew they were capable, but I certainly didn't think it was possible. Yeah, certainly uh, rampant support for the European side, as you can uh imagine but kp you know it's it's been a couple of days right there's been debriefs there's been the, <laughs> the slow drip of you know news that's starting to come out and quotes that are starting to come out and the controversy, good stuff the good stuff that's starting to come out but you know when you look back now a couple of days removed from this what was the difference on the golf course right why was this not even that competitive throughout well for, for a team that you know, on paper a month ago was a big underdog and even as this thing kicked off was a coin flip and, and it was never close i mean how much time do we have <laughs> go for it buddy <laughs> i'm stuck in a city with nothing to do <laughs> first of all can i get your opinion on something rick mark mark mentioned the golf course and i i sort of disagree that it was set up to the advantage of the europeans and i mostly disagree with that because i think both teams we talked about this before in the lead up right both teams kind of just play the same style like i i don't i don't uh, I guess if you if you catch enough guys that like play strictly on the European tour, you could kind of talk me into, well, that's like a different style than the PGA tour. But I just I don't know that the golf course really affected that much of the outcome. Do you what where do you land on that, Rick? So I think the only thing I tend to agree with you, Kyle, in the sense that um it is you know, there was not like necessarily an Ian Poulter on the team, right? A guy who's just going to be shorter than everybody else that is going to have to play out of the fairway. And 
the teams, by the time we got the final 24, were close-ish enough. At least the first nine or ten guys on 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 both teams were close, close-ish enough in skill sets that uh, a setup that was pretty standard, to Mark's point, like kind of a standard American golf course, I didn't think it generally favored one team over another. The only thing that I noticed, and even some of the, um, the European guys – we're struggling with this a little bit early was the greens were slower than they would expect. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know what the stimp was, but the greens and listen, I I'll, uh, I'll speak that like, I played it on Monday, very slow, right? The greens were very slow. I was expecting just lightning fast. It wasn't anything like that. And you saw some of the guys adjust to it. That is generally, that generally teeters a bit more like Euro style golf, but I don't think it was anything super drastic. I, uh, if, if, if I might add to that, uh, the green speeds certainly were a thing because I noticed countless Americans leaving putts short and low all the time throughout the week, which, which sort of spoke to preparation as well because they went there a few weeks before the time and they knew it was going to be slow. Then you come there and you arrive, some of them on Sunday, a lot of them on Monday. You, surely you're going to make the adjustment. But when you're playing on super fast greens like the PGA Tour, that's inside of you and you've got 15 feet downhill, and you've done this countless times on the tour, it's just hard to convince yourself to go and hit this thing hard because it's habitual because of the speeds of the green. I would add to that where I think the real, the real European flair came from was those greens where a lot of them were perched with all these runoffs and stuff into places. So it brought into, the, brought into it the chip and run, the bump and run game, which is something we don't see that much on the PGA Tour because the greens are faster over here you got to hit shots with more spin, more loft. And a lot of the times you've got this uh, Bermuda or bluegrass rough around the greens. So a lot of them are explosion shots. So I felt like the closer you got to the hole, the more European it became. And I did a function with Justin Leonard Thursday night. And folks asked him, so what's the key? And he goes, you want to win a Ryder Cup? You just have to putt. And that's where the Americans fell down time and time again over there. Yeah, it was pretty jarring, especially, you know, uh, Friday specifically. It didn't seem like – it felt like there was a lid on the cup for the U.S. side, KP. And it also felt like there – you know, something we talked about a lot. There was just absolutely no no juice for those guys. So does that does that fall on the captaincy? Does that fall on uh, <laughs> lack of a leader out, uh, you know, in the locker room? I mean, what else was one of the reasons that the European – or excuse me, the American team never got this thing in gear? Yeah, the <clears throat> data golf and, and maybe you've put something out on this too, Rick. I, I haven't seen. I don't think you've you haven't sent out a newsletter this week, have you? No, I have not. No newsletter from old Rick this week. <laughs> uh, data golf put out a newsletter this week that was talking about um, basically Europe destroyed the Americans off the tee. Like they were so, and, and and we saw this on the first hole, right? Like if you were at the first hole, almost every match, it seemed like this is not actually true but if you're if you're watching it almost every match it seemed like the americans were going right off the tee how many times were in the, were they in the right rough off the tee and the europeans would just bang one down the middle and they won the whole they won the first hole like an overwhelming amount of the time and that was that to me was emblematic of the entire week just that they drove it better but i think the i think the bigger question is why does why do your why do the european players seem to play above their sort of baseline and the Americans play below. And we see this even in like a, let's take Hovland and Scheffler, both like like two of the probably four best players in the world. Scheffler 
way below his baseline. And Hovland, as good as he is, I think played like above it. Like his driving numbers last week were a joke. And so you have to ask the you have to ask the question, why is that? Like, why does that happen? And buddy, like up close, I haven't been up close in, at a European Ryder Cup yet. I I am all in on the like, and it sounds stupid, and I realize it. I'm all in on the culture thing. Like those guys just like they understand why they're at the Ryder Cup. They understand what the Ryder Cup is. Their culture, their 30, 40 years worth of culture. And Rom had a quote on this on Sunday. He said, listen, when we enter the room on Monday, we forget about who we were and we forget about who we're going to be. And there could not be a more perfect summation of the European Ryder Cup culture. And I think when that happens, everybody just is is bonded together in a way that it, it elevates Nikolai Hoygaard to where he thinks he's Rory. He thinks he's like Rory McIlroy during the Ryder Cup. He makes seven birdies on Friday in four ball. It elevates a Bob McIntyre. It elevates all these guys. And I, I'm just like, you can't measure it. It's impossible to like have data on. I could not be more in on it because I think the point of it is not necessarily to like sing songs around the campfire, but to like encourage one another to be better than you, than your baseline, than you otherwise would be. Do you, as, as a data guy, am I crazy? Is this stupid? You saw it up close. It's like, I don't know how to not believe in this. Yes. So, right. I think the Ryder Cup is like, lives outside of the data world. For uh, sure. It, yeah. It just, just because one, it is a very small, you know, three days where matches don't necessarily go all 18 holes and guys don't even necessarily hit all the shots, right? Just from a data perspective, it is a very small and noisy sample size. From a culture perspective, Mark, I think I'm with Kyle that like this is all culture. You know, we were the, where I was sitting in the media center was with a lot of international press it, you know the 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 italian guys were here and and the sweden was over here and 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 the uk was here and they were just like pointing out these little things throughout mm -hmm. the event that i was like this is stupid this is stupid this is stupid but like then you start adding it up and seeing what happens like for example brian uh, max homa walks to the first tee from the driving range without brian Harmon on on friday and someone was like what is he doing and i'm like what yeah. are you what are you yeah. talking about it's like either why wouldn't he wait for him? Why wouldn't they go through there together? Every every European pairing to a man is coming out arm in arm out, out onto the first tee. And just like they would point out all these little things that they thought were crazy that the Americans weren't doing culture-wise and that the Europeans were doing every single time. Yes. Uh, and the Ryder Cup is largely a couple's thing. Yes, they're 12 points on a Sunday. And that's what there's um, 28 points on offer. But the first two days which, days, which sets up the final result, is the lion's share of the event. And year in and year out, the Euros do very well in that because of that culture that you and Kyle speak of. And uh, the, the group I was with, PepsiCo, they had a chalet on the first tee. So we saw all this first tee action. And to a couple, every single one of the Euros, when they stood for their official picture, they had, they were basically arm in arm, hugging each other, and the Americans were just kind of standing there. So, yes, there is something that's bred, and from everyone I've spoken to, from Jose Maria Lasabal, who Luke Donald was a masterclass to put him on the team, 
as an assistant captain, um, he basically learned from Seve. And Seve was the guy alongside Feldo. There's a picture of it over there. <laughs> you can see the Americans look downright downcast this, over there. This um, picture could not be more indicative of the week. If it, you're, it, if the, 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 the last 50 years. I mean, it, this yeah. explains the Ryder Cup right here. And so, and, and so Jose Maria learns from... Sorry, reckon so Jose Murray learns from Seve and, and he mentioned to me once he's like the first time he played with Seve, he was as nervous as a long tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. And the next thing he's like, Seve's got his arm around me and he's jeering me up and he's telling me, You got this. And then there was one situation where it was alternate shot and Seve said, You tee off the first hole first, hole first. And Jose Maria's like, Well, I can't, I'm too nervous. He was a rookie. And Seve's like, You got this. And so he'd lift him up. And that's where that parity, maybe to, to what Carl was describing, becomes a thing. And when you walked into the grounds for you guys saw it, I'm sure, maybe it sort of went amiss. When you went under that player walkway, that whole blue wall had the names of every previous European Ryder Cup around there. And so there's this history that's created, and you're playing for something larger than self. And, um, and then, obviously, the crowd have a big say-so in this. And as soon as the, I don't know, the Cantlay stuff came out, every hole you turned to, there were thousands of European fans waving a cap around all the place just to kind of drop the needle a little bit more because it's match play, it's gladiatorial, uh, it's, it's finding a way. And they just find that way that's beyond the data. And it's self-belief, it's belief in each other and, and trust in each other too. You know, when you look at your partner, you're like, you got this, man, I'm, I, I got you. That's worth a whole lot. Think of Hatton over there. When you've got someone as big and imposing as a John Rahm and going, I got you, Tyrrell, or you got this. That says a lot when the pressure is so high. So that picture, if you're only listening, is, is the picture, which is uh, Xander <laughs> and Cantlay looking down and downtrodden on the first tee while Terrell Hatton and John Rahm are arm in arm. It basically sums up, yeah, as Kyle says, uh, decades of Ryder Cup history. KP, you know, to, to continue to dive into this, I was in both team rooms on Monday, and both are obviously very nice facilities, right? The, the United States, it's, it's great. They have huge lockers. They've got an awesome dining area, a great gym, whatever. It's all, it, they're all top-notch facilities, but the European side was full of a lot of these kind of like, if you know, if you know, or like these, these cultural statements, hey, we're a team. There's a, a big Sevy thing. This is Team Europe. They have the list of the 12 and their new numbers, right? Because they count how many guys have ever played for Team Europe in a Ryder Cup. And each guy knows what number they are on that list. And even to the detail of, you know, behind the Europe Team Europe crest on their chest, you flip that around on the inside where no one but these guys know it is that Sevi Ballesteros logo. I mean, they, they just do not they do not miss an opportunity to motivate, to start rowing in the same direction. It, it, it's, it's, they're telling a story and everyone's buying into it. Yeah. I mean, I, there's nothing I can say to that. That's going to explain it better than what you just said. You know, by the way, I needed you in the team rooms on like Saturday night when Rory was screaming and Cantlay was, you know, which, by the way, I mean, we can get into this, but like the U.S. needing a tweet about a hat to get to get fired up to, and and I I'm not saying that they don't care, and I I actually think Rick that the U.S. culture has gotten 
better. Like, I, I, I mean, I don't know that it could get worse right after like 2014, but I, th I think, I think they're moving in the right direction, but it takes time, right? It takes a long time to build into what you see with the European team. And, um, you know, I, I ran into a player on Sunday after like between the, I wrote about this on Sunday night, but between the green, the 18th green and the, and they were going to get the trophy. And this player was hollering about how, like, hey, 35 years, they still just think we're overachieving, right? They still just think we're overachieving. And it's like the implication is like we figure we we understand how to how to do all this. And it doesn't mean that I got a lot of sort of reaction from people that was like, well, they don't they never went in the United States. Well, first of all, they do, right? And second of all, winning on the road is is extremely difficult. And third, the Euros are usually the worst team of the two. They usually have the overall worst players. So not only are they winning on the road, which the U.S. is not, um, but they're also winning as the underdog. I think that I think the U.S. has been the favorite in the last four Ryder Cups, and they're two and two, right? And so I just again, like I am <laughs> having seen it up close, having seen the singing and the dancing. Like they, there's just an inhibition there that I think. Um, they the only thing they care about throughout that week, Rick, is how how encouraged each other feels from their from their uh, personal like from the rest of the team. And if you watch the U.S. body language, if you watch them play together, if you look at that picture of Cantlay and Xander, again, is it getting better? Absolutely. I thought the I thought Scheffler crying in the middle of Saturday was like a like a really meaningful moment, and he got made fun of, and I think you're stupid if you're making fun of that but um the euros have just have such an advantage when it comes to culture that yeah it doesn't mean you're going to win every time because sometimes you're going to get out talented you're going to get outplayed or whatever but it does give you a shot and i i was sold a bill of goods at whistling straights rick i don't think the u.s is ever winning in europe for the net i, I like i don't know what it would take for me to ever pick the u.s to win in europe again Kyle, that's a really good call, because as you were saying this, I wanted to add the other side of the coin, in my opinion. And I thought there was an air of overconfidence to the United States team, too, because of what happened at Whistling Straits and because of how everyone's sort of been playing. Because I thought it was almost a slap in the Euro's face that a lion's share of the Americans would come into this very important event, as far as the Europeans are concerned, hardly having played. There was one guy, two guys, Max and JT, I think that might be it, who played prior to competitively prior to the Ryder Cup. And that's a big deal where the Europeans go to arguably their second biggest event in the BMW Championship at Wentworth, and they're all there. And they're all playing under pressure, and they're all together. Where the year sort of assembled, flew out from Atlanta together, not even all of them, because Brooks wasn't on the flight. And then they show up, they're like, okay, we're going to dust the floor with these guys. I think that was locker bulletin board material for the Euros as well. So, you know, coupled with match play, the culture, the people, the fans, you've got to play before the time. You can't practice at your home driving range and be prepared for the pressure that is represented by that first tee. And then having to hold a five-footer on the 15th hole to keep your match alive not just against another couple, but against an entire continent of people. You can't do it. So I feel like they had to, they should have played before the time.
I think the rebuttal to that is they didn't really play leading into 2021, the, the whistling straights, right? They, the, they're playing in front of Americans there. Yeah. 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 That's, that's fair. Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah. And maybe it, maybe it, maybe it takes a day or two to kind of get going. Um, when you haven't, when you haven't played like that, um, Rick, like 70% or, of the, now 70% of the Ryder Cup is gone after a day or two of you trying to get going. Go ahead, Mark. No, I was just going to say that, I mean, it was 4-0 after the first morning. Yeah. And that was ostensibly the difference because what was the final result was five, right? Five points yeah, difference. I, I thought that, well, a couple of things. One, you can't go three, 19 and two in foursomes over the last uh, since 2014 in Europe, three nineteen and two is that's, and it feels like freaking magic. Like it feels like the Europeans are doing a magic trick. And that's sort of what I'm talking about. It's like the intangibles, that stuff does feel like magic a lot of times. Cause you're like, this is inexplicable. Like, I, I do not know how to explain like how Victor Hovland is. Rom hit the stick like five times on Friday. And you're like, what the hell, man? Like, how does this happen? I know he's great, but he was not, he was like fine in the playoffs. He was okay the second half of the season. And then all of a sudden he's hitting the stick from everywhere, but the Trevi fountain, you know? And uh, yeah, I, I don't like that. I thought they lost the Ryder cup Rick on Friday afternoon. They had, they, they, when, when, when the Europeans got a point and a half out of those last three matches or three of those four that the, that the U S was up in all of them. I thought that was kind of like, yeah, you're, you're not, uh, you you could come back from this, but it's going to be like a miracle. And it got a little interesting on Sunday. I mean, it was, it was fun for like 45 minutes, but then it was just like, yeah, we have to win all these. And that's just, that can't happen. I want to say to that Friday afternoon, because that is a good call there, because it appeared like there was a little momentum shift and you guys were out there on the golf course. I'm sure where I was taking tours of people around and the vibe did get quieter. But all it took was one birdie by somebody on the European team. And then the crowds lit up again. And I feel like the crowds carried the Euros to those lead halves. And, and then you do something special. Like I feel like almost the Ryder Cup was won when Justin Rose made that curling 10-footer on Saturday. Or was that Friday for a half a point on the final hole? And they'd been down the whole time. And, and, and it just gets me to thinking, you know, this is in Rome. When we get to Bethpage Black in two years' time, the roles are going to be completely reversed because you're going to have a rabid fandom from New York and everywhere else that are just going to go bananas. And there's going to be all sorts going on. So I would strongly right now, looking at what happened, and just seeing how the crowd could influence the thing. Now the U.S. could shut the crowd down. Uh, now when we get to the States, you're going to have the roles reversed. And I'm keen to see how this European team will face up to that. I really am. Yeah, Beth Page is setting up to be um, raucous, to say the least. We're going to continue this conversation, see if we can figure out what's going wrong with the Americans, what they can learn from the European side, and talk a little bit of the quotes that have come out in the past couple of days. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. 
Are you still suffering from supply chain issues? Are they disrupting your operations? Well, have no fear because Graybar has you covered and you can rely on their nationwide logistics network to get what you need, where they need, when they need to get there and all within budget. Graybar is a trusted and leading North American distributor of electrical communications, data networking, industrial products, literally supporting products of any industry, construction, hospitals, industrial plants, schooling, it doesn't matter. Just one clear mission to serve as that vital link in the supply chain, adding value for customers and suppliers with innovative solutions and services. So here's what you need to do. Visit graybar.com to start an order today. Visit graybar.com to start an order today and fix those supply chain issues with Graybar. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. And we're back. Um, okay, KP, just broad question. We've been talking a lot about culture here. What is the American culture? <laughs> well, well I, I think it's I think it's a great question. And I think one thing I've been thinking a lot about this week is can you like should if you're if you're the American team, should your play be to try and replicate what the Europeans have done? Because as a as a outsider, I'm obsessed with it. I think the European culture is is very um, aspirational, but I don't know that it I don't know that it even works on the American. Uh, like I don't I don't know if that's the the path forward for them to, to to build for the next twenty or thirty years. And you know they've talked a lot about oh we'll just let us do our own thing that week. Let us take our naps and have our workouts and like all that stuff and you're like well is is that that doesn't seem like a culture that seems more like a sort of a plan like a weekly plan or whatever um i don't i I don't know i i I honestly like i do think they're headed in the right direction i think guys like scheffler spieth jt they've grown up like caring deeply about the Ryder cup in in ways that the generation before them did not and so they, it, it takes a long time, I think, and this is where I sort of net out on it. I think it takes a long time to build a culture. Remember the the um, how the Patriots used to take on like Antonio Brown, and you're like, well, well, the Patriots can absorb an Antonio Brown because their culture is such that it it doesn't. Um, he he he's not bigger than the culture. That's how the Euros are. Like they can bring in, I mean, Sergio Garcia is like one of the more unlikable players in the world outside of the Ryder Cup. And then he gets inside the Ryder Cup and you're like, oh, well, he, he, he's actually like beloved, you know? And I don't think the American culture is there yet because as we saw this week, you got all the Cantlay stuff going on and it like it rose above like their sort of team culture and atmosphere. So I don't, I mean, I'd love your opinion. Like, should they just try and replicate what the Europeans do? Um, should they try to kind of differentiate a little bit? What, where do you land on that? 
Uh, no, I think it'll be hard to, I, I think there's also a lot of, so the other thing that I learned this week is, um, you know, the international media, they love to get an American's opinion on things. Oh, and, yes. Right. And it is interesting how they view uh, a Ryder Cup and how we view a Ryder Cup. And I do think uh, along with a lot of the other great uh, motivating components and cultural things that the Europeans have put in place, there is this natural desire to beat America, right? There's this mm -hmm. natural yeah. desire to say, we're the underdog. We know it worked from nine different countries. We're not, you know, they think they're better than us. They, everybody thinks they're better than us. We're going to go and we're going to beat America. And, and that is not that whatever percentage of the foundation of the culture, like that's a percentage of it. And, and it's, so it's going to be hard to kind of take that and say, Hey, we're the Americans. Let's go beat up on Europe. I don't think you're going to get a, a rallying cry around that. Um, what I do think would be interesting, and, and I think it's hard to build a culture where you know you're essentially getting a new captain every two years, right? I, I mean, imagine if the Patriots uh, had Bill Belichick for two years, and then you know we're going to go get. Like, it's hard to to roll that over time and time again, which is why you generally see the vice captains get funneled in and things like that. But I, I, I truly mark, and I you know, would love to hear from you on this. Like if I really wanted to build a culture, I would find my guy and have him there for a long time. I'd get my Greg Popovich. I'd get my Bill Belichick. I'd get my somebody who can lead this into the future and be bigger than just this two years. And before you reply to that, unmute yourself. I couldn't agree more. I was, uh, this whole thing with Europe started with Tony Jacklin, who started the whole we're the underdogs thing. And uh, this is sort of be, a, a, you know, uh, past or before a lot of folks' time where, you know, when the European, when the Americans would come to play Europe, it was all pump and circumstance. And the European tour had so little money that when they went to play in the States, they were all flying on their own dime. They didn't have uniforms and stuff. And Jacklin brought in the cashmere. He brought in, we good enough, we're going to fly in the Concorde, but we're still the underdogs kind of thing. And then he basically bred a Bernard Gallagher, who was an assistant captain for a long time. Gallagher then took over the role. And so it went down the way. And you could see that influence still, the thread there is still through Luke Donald. But I would say as far as culture goes, I don't think the Americans can replicate the culture. And the reason being is because bar Rory and John Rahm, maybe, maybe one or two others, the private jet travelers, I want to say, the European tour, you guys have been there. It's hard to travel through Europe. The airports are not as grandiose as the States. So you fly to a place, then you're on a bus carriage to somewhere and it takes 45 minutes or two hours to get to a course. So all these guys, when you're on the European tour are traveling together. And that's where these friendships, these connections are forged, not just in practice rounds, not in the odd private jet trip to Valhalla to play a media day. That's not how it works. So this whole thing about Europe is a lot of them travel together, wives at home, they're in the same plane or the same bus carriage. And they're these relationships that are built before the time. And, and you can see that because these things have been galvanized over lots and lots of experiences, not just get together on uh, two weeks prior and go to Italy and play a little golf and then show up on Monday morning and all of a sudden we got the world figured out. Kyle said it right. Sometimes you just can't out-talent somebody. And that's what the Americans were sort of relying on. So I'm not sure where their culture comes from, but I would 
You know, I just I watched it in my household with the President's Cup, where the internationals were wildly outmanned in terms of the world rankings. But Trevor got this team together monthly for two months before, or for two years, I should say, before the President's Cup for a dinner, for, got them together for practice rounds. When I saw, I'll never forget at Hilton Head um, at the RBC, the year of the President's Cup, there was a practice round. And at that stage, well, Cameron Smith was part of it. Um, and there was uh, Wako Neiman and a few of them. They already had their international team towels on their bag and they were playing practice rounds together. So this thing was built years before the event because it's not like plug and play. I don't care how good you are because again, it's match play, which is different. And you're playing with a guy at your side. It's not just you on your own ball. Rick, one thing that I think is really contrasting with the two teams. And I think this is where the, I think this is where the Americans can really grow a lot over the next 15, 20 years is if you look at the top players on each side, they have very different attitudes toward, toward this whole thing. And this is, this has been an American problem for a long time. Like Tiger and Phil, obviously two of the best ever, but they, they never really, especially the early parts of their career, didn't really like fully buy into like the, the, like the Ryder cup, like, like we know it, you know? And Europe has always had that. Like, think about, think about like Rom and Rory. And and again, I go back to, I'm going to think about that Rom quote forever of just like, Hey, when we get in the room, we forget about who we are and also who, who what we're going to be. Like we, it's a, it's almost like a self forgetfulness that I think is so like that quote, I think is telling like is, is it, it explains everything you need to know about, about the entire thing. And those guys, like, they don't care if they look like fools throughout the week. They don't care if they, they're completely uninhibited from like just screaming and yelling and getting their teammates going. And that's a, that's a pretty rare thing for a global star at the level that Rom and Rory are at to, to be like, you know, and you flip it around and look at the American side and it's like Cantley and Xander are two of your three best players. And, the, and we just showed the picture of them and they come out looking like they'd rather be anywhere else. And you get all these reports that come out that Cantley's talking behind the scenes about like, well, we need to be paid and Xander won't sign the agreement to be in the Ryder cup almost got kicked off the team. And you're like, what are, what, what are you what are we doing? Like, if these are your sort of best players, like your team leaders. And I think the Americans, and this is, this is why I was so vocal about JT being on the team. You have to have some guys that are like, you know what, this actually is cool to care about the Ryder cup and they have to pass it down to the next, to the best players of the next generation. Uh, Justin Rose or Rory, one of those two said on Sunday, Hey, we're just, we're just like the keepers of the, of the Euro uniform to hand it down to the next generation there. That attitude does not exist on the American side because its leaders have never really entered into it. And I think you're, you're getting close to it. Like JT's like sort of there. And I think Skef, uh, Scotty Scheffler wants to be there, but he has a hard time because it's, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to be vulnerable to show that you care all that different stuff but i think unless you like can't lay in xander that ain't it you know like your top guys have to be leaders that like care that aren't afraid to care and that pass that down to the next generation it's it's fragile is what it is mark you know the the american side the american culture is 
fragile and it goes yeah. in both directions, right? I mean, Kyle mentioned it earlier. If it takes a tweet from Jamie Weir uh, to get you fired up on Saturday night, uh, you have problems. And the fact that, you know, one guy uh, whose dad might not want, I'm talking about Sanders, who might not want, you know, Netflix in the room or might want to get paid more or whatever, if that can kind of throw barbs into your culture, like it's super fragile, like, like that, that stuff should not be able to penetrate yet. Here it is, uh, not only penetrating, but likely, um, being a significant, a significant thing. Yeah, it, 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 it's an odd situation to be in. And, and I just think personally, I, I wouldn't want to be in the, the next task force room right now because to our conversation, which we're going around the table, I'm sort of hearing the same thread all the time. And, and I'm not so sure if karma heads could prevail and come up with anything for the next time. I think the lone hope is that, again, it's back in the United States. Because if it continues like this, because I honestly believe and, and I experienced it and when I was asked to opine on this thing. I'm like, I feel like the crowd is going to make a difference. I really do. And the crowd do make a difference. So as far as culture goes to what we've been talking about, I'm going to, I feel like it's next to impossible for the Americans to pick up um, because they play such an individual game. I, I, and, and the more they spend time together, fine. But it's finding that pride in, in, in the, the logo on your chest, which I find curious because everyone on that team, they will all bleed for whatever college they've gone to because they've spent four years there immersed in the, in the college culture. But then when it comes to representing your country, which is the highest honor, I find it unbelievable that there aren't more folks like a JT or someone that looks like they are going to, like Max Homer to me, I was so mm. impressed with him. He looked like he was going to run through a wall and didn't matter who he faced up to. He was up for it because of what was on his chest and on the front of his hat, not in the bank accounts, not in the Netflix thing. I mean, for Pete's sake, all of these guys on the, net, on the Netflix deal, that's all about making more money. There are not very many Europeans doing those shows, you know. So, so again, I feel like the culture is going to be hard, but it's going to start with custodians to what Kyle says. And and I'm just sure not sure who they're going to be. I, I really am not. I think it starts with the captaincy. And it's got to stay with somebody for a while. And they're going to start to talk about this thing more than just a few weeks out where now we're all fighting about who's going to make the team and disagreeing on stuff. This is going to start way, way, way before Beth Page Black. But again, like I say, mark my words down, New York City Ryder Cup is going to be off the charts. And I right now had the and the advantage to the Americans, even though Europeans looked unbeatable last week. I think the the captaincy is hard because it's very difficult. I it almost needs somebody. It almost needs to be somebody that's like an outsider in some ways to to sort of. Or KP, re- I mean, Zach Johnson, and it's not his own fault. Is like still a full time player. Like, what are we? Like, why does that need to be a guy? Why? why yeah, why, but but, but like, so is Lou Donald, right? Guys, guys, this is easy. This is really easy. There's one guy who needs this job. He did the President's Cup in Australia, brought that team back. They were way against the ropes against Ernie Els. There's one dude that deserves this job. One dude, when he gets up in the locker room and says, you boys, it's, it's on us now, that folks will go, yes, amen, sir. The rest of the people are like, Zach's a great guy. But when Tiger Woods speaks, all of this generation listen. There's one guy who needs to be the captain. 
Yeah, I, I, I really couldn't disagree more with that just because Tiger is the one that I feel like was part of the problem all along. Like Tiger could have over the last 20 years built an extraordinary culture on the American side, right? He could have um, really like leaned in and like be, think about like how many guys he could have empowered and brought along and like it, it, it could really be thriving and he didn't do it. And there are reasons for that. And he was always very private and individualistic. And I, I just don't know that like, like with Tiger, like what I do agree with Mark is I think Tiger for one Ryder cup would be a very good captain. So I, I'm not disagreeing with that part. I think he would be, as we saw at the president's cup, I think like, I think he'd be good. I just don't know if that's the long-term like culture builder that you're getting at or, or that, or that you want. If, if you're the American side, Tiger Woods is a different guy now to the Tiger Woods that was playing on the Ryder Cup. Uh, I don't think the, those comparing apples and oranges. Tiger Woods now is sort of the magnanimous elder statesman of the PGA Tour and a mentor to a number of the youngsters, Justin Thomas most notably. So I feel like the guy now is the guy for the job. Now, if you'd asked me this a few years ago, I would have said, heck no. You know, when you're disagreeing with players like a Phil Mickelson and such, you can't have that in the team room. But right now, that's not who Tiger Woods is. Uh, you know, beyond that, I, I I couldn't see. Look, Steve Stricker was very good. Um, Davis Love has been really good too. But you need a real guy that's going to challenge the guys to stand up and you know get some pride in who they are and who they're representing. And I think I think what you're getting at is a little bit part of the problem that I see. Which if there's only one guy that can, um, that those guys will like fully buy into and listen to, then you have. And I'm not saying this about any one person, but I think you have some like ego problem or like they don't check their ego or, or like their themselves at the door like the like Rom was talking about. And mm -hmm. and being the being the European Ryder Cup captain is it's not easy, obviously. Like it, it it's really difficult just to figure all that stuff out and be detailed and know when to believe the numbers and when to go with your gut, all those different things. But you know you have like complete buy-in from your stars and from like that sort of group of players that you don't really you can't really trust that on the American side. I think we've seen that over the last ten years now. Could we also just for a second, you know, because as far as in my opinion, what I got to see, I just thought the U.S. team was roundly outplayed. They really were from the from in the practice rounds, just the way the teams bonded. But that's beside the point. But then when Friday morning rolled around. From the very first hole, it was the European ascendancy. Now, I've handed some of the credit to the fans, the 13th man, if you will, and, and one or two other cultural things, which I agree wholeheartedly. But the Euros just played well. The Americans didn't play well whatsoever. You, you'd reference the data golf thing off the tee. That is largely where they thrive. But, but no one was really there. And I keep on gravitating back to the fact that they didn't have much competition coming in. But they just were outplayed. That's as simple as that. All right. We are going to put a bow on this with uh, probably one more topic or so, but we are going to do it after a quick word from our partners. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. And we're back. All right, gents. Well, since the last time we spoke, uh, specifically on Monday, the the drip started to come out. Uh, Stefan Shoffley, Xander's dad, on record, uh, basically opining about why... Uh, I don't know. I guess it was, it was kind of all over the place, KP, why these guys should be paid or why they should be able to at least look at the books or why they should come up with an agreement on where the money is going. And it basically revealed that uh, even as of a few weeks out, uh, Xander's place on this uh, U.S. Ryder Cup team was in jeopardy because he had not committed to, to signing the player agreement. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I, I, just for a second. Imagine Tommy Fleetwood or Tyrrell Hatton or I don't know Justin Rose a couple weeks out from the Ryder Cup being like I don't know I don't know if I'm going to be there can you imagine that happening <laughs> yeah it's absurd right and and listen like what I, 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 <laughs> I didn't see this coming I don't know if if any of us did but the Ryder Cup this year became a lot about like should these guys be paid and you're like damn like the one thing that I had that I didn't think we were going to talk about that now we're we're still talking about it, you know, and like, I don't know. I I think that there's a conversation to be had about Ryder Cup makes a lot of money, right? It makes over it makes nine figures of money. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I think there's a conversation to be had about like funneling some of that to the to the people that are participating in it that are putting on the show but man like the self-importance of different camps on the u.s side it's like i don't know man like the Ryder cup's gonna be sweet whether you play in it or not and just this like self-important like no i'm the star i'm the show i'm the man and i get that it didn't come directly from a player but I'm sorry, but like you're responsible as the player for that. You, you are responsible. Yes. If you don't like, listen, I don't hear from a lot of dads on the PGA tour. I don't hear from a lot of agents or managers, right? If, if the player doesn't want 
something being like th- there are ways to handle that. Uh, Mark, I think KP's right in the sense that if Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley were replaced with Keegan Bradley and Cam Young, the Ryder Cup still would have been awesome. Probably would have been yeah. better. Yeah, well, look, I mean, Keegan Bradley wouldn't have made a big deal like that. Um, Lucas Glover certainly would have. You know, Lucas Glover would have given his left arm to be on the Ryder Cup team. Um, and, and the truth is, the players do get money. They just don't get money for their own bank accounts. Right. Because they, they all get $200,000 to give to their charity, so they look like heroes. And then let's not forget, too, that some of this money is channeled to the PGA Tour, which is deposited straight into their retirement annuities, which are growing, like, by the minutes. They can have so much money down the track. It's just the instant gratification of it all. That's not a thing. So they are benefiting out of this thing significantly. And then, and I've said this more than once, all of these guys, if they've got an agent who's worth any salt, mm-hmm. have some clause in, a, in their titleist agreement, whatever that says, representative teams, you get a bonus. So let me tell you what, the, the fact that they were in a U.S. uniform, they were making money from all of their sponsors as well. So they were getting plenty. They really are getting plenty. And you know what? Who wants to partner with Max Homa after the week he had? Anybody that's anybody that's associated with the Ryder Cup, Mm -hmm. right? So it's 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 just short sighted, you know, not short sighted, but short sighted uh, in a way that the Europeans are just like not like they're they're, they they take the long view and and it just was. it was very emblematic of what I think is, again, part of the um, part of the. It, it, and and, and we, we overstate this when America loses, like, oh, the, the problem, what's the problem? Like, they're, they're still probably, they rolled at Whistling Straits. They're probably going to win at Beth Pagers. I don't know that there's like a massive problem, but man, they're pretty hard to root for. Like, they're pretty unlikable as a team, you know, like that is pretty clear now and and it's been clear but it's even more clear now and so i think that matters um in yeah like listen like i i think i think beth page is going to be fascinating mark like i think it's going to be so interesting because you get a who knows who's going to be on either of those teams, but you get Rory on Sunday night saying, Hey, we're going to win at Beth page. And you're like, hell yeah. Like that's what I want to talk about for the next two years. And the reality for the Europeans, is they took a bad team to, to Hazel team. That team was not good. I just looked at the, the Danny Willett was the third best player on that team. That's not good. That's a, that that's a problem. Uh, the reality at whistling Straits is they kind of just had one superstar playing. Well, Rory wasn't playing great. Hovland wasn't who he is now. So can you can you have this con- a convergence of like, yeah, your cult- we know your culture is going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Your captain's going to be good. Like all that's kind of just, you know, s- set in stone. But can you get everything else going in the right direction to where Rory, Rom, Hovland, uh, you know, Fleetwood, maybe Ludwig, like all these guys are playing great going in. And then you start to get a, if you get a European win on the road, then it's like, okay, this is, then it is a problem for the Americans. Yeah. Like it's, a, it's an issue right now, but then it's like a, a task force two type problem where you're like, what are we going to do about the future? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Rick, we're in the news cycle post Ryder Cup now and everyone's armchair quarterbacking the thing. Look, it was an embarrassing loss for the Americans because they you know, people can say that there was a moment on Sunday where it was possible. It was possible, 
it's also possible that I could go out and do flip flacks outside, but it's not going to happen. Um, so it's, I think there's just a lot of reaction to it because it was a, a disappointing loss. And if I was on the American team, I'd be scarred and sort of aggravated and pissed off right now. But I feel like, you know, everyone's going to forget this in a little while and roll around Bethpage. It could be a different thing. I would, alongside Kyle, I would, Kyle, I'd love to see this team, this Euro team, perhaps with the addition of one or two other young stars that are coming through. I think they could hold their own. But yeah. staying in New York against New York fans, that, that is, I've seen them boo Americans when we did a PGA championship there. So it's going to be raucous and really nasty to play in. That's where your culture comes in though, right? Like that's where it can, it can really push back against, cause you're right. Um, it, it, it's it, being on the road is hard. And that was, that was one of my takeaways last week, Rick is, is it's very difficult to, you're, you're nervous in any Ryder cup or team event. It's, it's hard. But man, those guys are not conditioned to like have 40,000 people yelling at them, not for them, but at them. Like that's a different thing. And it doesn't, it never happens in golf, right? It happens in other sports all the time because you play on the road against some fans home team a lot, but it never happens in golf. And it's, it's jarring. Like it's jarring to, as a fan, as a, as a media member, as a player, anything it's, it's, it's very different. And I think that that's where the, culture can like come in and and kind of absorb some of that when you're on the road yeah and i would add to that too it just sort of came to me because at the top of the show you guys were talking about your american experience in rome and the previous Ryder cup abroad was in paris these are two age-old cities right that are kind of they ooze culture and they ooze history and this sort of thing uh for the americans to go over there is a whole lot harder than for some of the euros who come and stay in the united states and are assimilated and they used to what the hotel rooms are like and what the transport's like and what the food's like, that sort of thing. For the, for the Americans going over to Rome, I mean, that was an eye popper. It's an eye popper for anyone because the place is just so different. So, so that has something to do with it as well, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, um, you know, my, my big takeaway is, Kyle, as, as you kind of mentioned, golf is generally played exclusively on a neutral site with mm-hmm. generally neutral fans. Um, yes, there are guys who get more support than others, but to get a negative reaction or clearly you not being the guy from everyone is it's jarring is a very good word. So um, with that, I'll just final thoughts here. You know, what will you remember from mm. Rome? What is something that have you thought about more than you should over the last uh, <laughs> they'll start with you? Oh gosh, there's too many. Uh, I, I I was with Max Homa's group on Sunday, and when he got up and down to keep the to keep it alive, that was extraordinary. Like that that was like, it, and it sounds dumb because they got kind of smoked at the end, but that was kind of like once in a lifetime type stuff to like keep the Ryder Cup alive. You have to get up and down from a really not great spot and he did it and if he doesn't do it the Ryder cup's over like that is that's incredible but i think the probably the scene i'll remember most is coming up 16 on saturday night um or saturday afternoon there was different groups growing through going through there and and just walking with those groups down into that i mean you played 16 so it's obviously down into the right and everybody's just screaming at Cantlay and singing at him and 
the sun was setting kind of in the in the background and you're just like this is this is crazy to like cover to to be at a Ryder Cup in in Italy of all places and to get to experience that thing that you very rarely get to experience, you know, once every two years or once every four years for, for the home team. Uh, that was a, that to me was like the most poignant special moment of the entire event. There was nothing that actually happened. Like there was no like great shot or anything like that, but just that walk from 16 T box to 16 green as the players are going. And as everybody's kind of moving toward the end of, of Saturday night, that was a, that was a pretty pretty sweet moment. That and Rory screaming in the parking lot was up there too. <laughs> we we didn't even talk about it. Listen, that's old news by this point, right? I, mean, yeah, I know, I know. That's good. All right, Mark, what will you remember most from this rider? Well, I'm keen to hear yours because you're Italian sojourn. But for me, I had three, and they sort of tickled my sensibilities. And one was the sentimental sap in me. The other one was the golf coach, and the other one was the competitor. So from the competitor's point of view, I'm still mortified that Ricky Fowler would concede that putt to Tommy Fleetwood <laughs> on Sunday afternoon for the guaranteed half in the cup. That to me, well, I, that, that is still keeping me awake at night. Uh, the romantic in me, I mean, remember walking around a golf course and looking over and seeing a castle with the Italian flag on that Galileo lived in and researched in for Pete's sake. That's ridiculous. And, and we were fortunate to meet Lavinia Biagiotti, who's from the family who owned that place. Her mom, Lauren, was the owner of a fashion house. And it was her vision to bring a Ryder Cup to Italy. And then her mom fell ill during COVID, passed away, and Lavinia took up the torch. And they were building the golf course then. And she was seeding fairways and mowing fairways and stuff. This is a, like a fashion icon, right? To show the, the passion about bringing this event to Rome, and then just from a coach's standpoint, Victor Hovland, I saw something out of him. It was one of the rounds, it might have been Saturday because he played all of them, but he walked on the tee, folks were singing the Victor Hovland do 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 song, and it was all fun. And he gets over there and makes a practice swing, and everyone does the practice swing sound, and then he goes, come, lift it up. And the folks start going bananas, right? And then they settle down, and we had a close-up that they close, they went into his face. And you could see him close his eyes, take a couple deep breaths, and he got over the ball and just freaking lashed this thing straight down the fairway. And when I saw that happen, I'm like, this boy, he's got the gifts in his hands and his feet, but he's got it here and he's got it over there to be able to settle down the mayhem inside of his mind. And the heart rate must have been elevated. And the adrenaline, all your nerve endings are like heightened. And he could slow himself down to absolutely pin one down the fairway. And I was like, geez, if I was a believer before, Victor Hovland is legit. And so that was kind of my three takeaways. Yeah, real, yeah. real quick on, on a, sorry, Rick, real quick on Hovland. Like, I don't know how it's going to go for him, but legitimate uh, Ryder Cup legend potential. I, I, again, like I, he could get hurt. He could, a lot of things can happen, but as of right now, you're like, okay, th this is this could be like, you know, the next Sergio, Pol whatever, whoever you want to like throw in there. I I'm I'm happy to throw Hovland back in there also. Hey, Rick, before you go, Joe Mayo texted me Sunday night, basically going legit legitimately, my guy's arguably the best golfer in the world right now. He is. That was it. 
Yeah. He told me that at Riviera and Victor wasn't playing that well. The they, they are just that that team, they are they're ready to be number one in the world. I like, tweeted they, it on on Saturday night when he made or Friday, I guess it was Friday night when he made that putt on 18. He's 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 the best player in the world right now. I, I just think my my takeaways are that um you know, throw anything throw anything else out the window. There is nothing like a Ryder Cup. There's nothing like mm. a Ryder Cup on the road. It feels different. It plays different. It's it's it just whatever you think is going to happen, throw it out the window because there's nothing like this in golf. Um, and then obviously, I mean, to be able to play the course on Monday, I cannot describe how like I don't know how these guys do anything. <laughs> I mean, the rough is so dusty. It is impossible to find a golf ball if you're not playing out of the fairway. We did not play it from the Ryder Cup tees, obviously. And it is like it is such a hard golf course. I can't even fathom how good these guys are. Here's here's a rebuttal to that. You shot what? 82? 82. You would have like beaten you would have beaten Brooks and Scheffler in a, in their foursomes. <laughs> Maybe by a lot. It's like nine, nine and seven is embarrassing, man. Oh my goodness, that's all right. My my thing that I'll remember might be JT saying nine and seven. Yeah. <laughs> that is bad. I dropped back to that group because I and I was there when they closed it out on eleven. And I mean the I mean the fans knew it, man. They were like, "This is about to be historic." Like just just step on their throat. We know it's coming. And then they did the whatever the Viking clap and the whole. Oh. Thing was like, just over it was over so it's the the year i've been singing and this isn't everybody's been tweeting this but i've been singing the european songs in my head my kids are singing them it's it's the the usa is terrified europe's on fire is a banger (laughs) all right gents well listen um we will discuss this as we tend to do because whoever wins Sanderson Farms, I'm sure we will have them headed to the Ryder Cup. Uh, <laughs> it, it, President's um, Cup. President's, yeah, Cup. President's yeah. Cup. Right. That's how this whole thing works. So, uh, a pleasure as usual. I'm glad we were able to debrief here a little bit. Producer Josh is all the hard work behind the scenes. Mark Immelman available online at Mark underscore Immelman. Kyle Porter at Kyle Porter CBS. And you can find me at Rick Rungood. This has been the first cut. We'll catch you next time. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.